Good morning, Internet. This is the Internet Movie Firearms Podcast, where real movies meet real guns. And I am your host, Dr. Gary. As always, your resident firearms and movie enthusiast, as I am not an expert. Oh, so this would actually be my second podcast of all time, and I must say, pretty pretty excited overall um, so far. No downloads, and I want to apologize to the one download that I will probably have that goes under the name of Mom. Uh, I did get a new microphone, and I did some trial runs, and I'm realizing that uh, my breathing is quite annoying with the new one, so bear with me. might have to mess with the audio as we go, but... I digress. As always, uh, the opinions and views are all mine, and as that, they're just an opinion of some guy on the internet. Again, I am Dr. Gary. Uh, I am a doctor, not your doctor. As always, my opinion's mine. Go get yourself a second one. Um, Today, we have a fun, fun movie to talk about. Um, Probably one of my favorites. One of my favorite childhood memories, I, I would jokingly call it a kid's movie, and my wife would disagree with me on that one. Maybe I had a strange childhood. I don't know. We're talking about the 1990 cult classic, truly a cult classic, Tremors. Um, for those of you who don't know, Tremors is a movie that came out uh, in 1990, like I said. Sci-fi, supposed to be a horror monster comedy movie. Um... By Universal Pictures, it, it kind of spawned a bunch of sequels to, as time went on with them, like a lot of these sci-fi-ish kind of movies. Um, the first one, moderately successful, became more successful over time. Um, but the sequels get more and more low budget, you know, going from almost straight to DVD, VHS at the time, uh, sci-fi channel-esque, and now kind of right to streaming services. So I think I've seen all the sequels, and I think I own most of them on DVD. Um, but let's let's kind of look. So kind of backtracking here. Um, so Tremors, the movie that we're going to be talking about, uh, with all the formats of the podcast I want to do, I'm really looking at doing, you know, since it is a movie podcast, three acts. First act is going to be kind of my review and summary of the movie, talking about some fun trivia if I do have any. Um, and most of this stuff, I'm just kind of going off the, by the seat of my pants off the top of my head here. So, um, act two will be the firearms that are in the movie, how they use the firearms. And then act three is my favorite where I will be talking about, uh, what firearms I would use if I were in the movie and, or if I had a time machine to go back in time when the movie was made, or if I could pick anything, what would I use then? So kind of, you know, the critique of the firearms and, and kind of my opinion on it. So let's get into Act 1, Tremors the movie. Um, like I said, made in 1990, budget of $10 million. According to the internet, a, a box office of around $17 million. Um, not too many big names in it overall. Uh, Kevin Bacon, obviously, is going to be the headliner, and he's going to be the one everybody knows. Um, his sidekick in the movie, the other main character, goes by the name of Fred Ward. Really not in a whole bunch of movies... Um, other than that I can think of other than this one, um, Michael Gross, which everybody, if you've seen Tremors, which I assume if, you know, the three people who download this podcast, um, will obviously have seen it and know, you know, Michael Gross plays Burt Gummer, a crazy prepper, um, legendary character, 
and Reba, the country singer, is in it as his as his wife. Um, now, as the sequels go on, the only character who continues to be in all the sequels from these movies is um, the actor Michael Groves with the character Burt Gummer. Um, again, legendary survivalist in the fictional realm. So let's get into it. Um, kind of going off the Wikipedia summary at first. Again, they wrote it. Why reinvent the wheel? Uh, summary of Tremors. Again, 1990 monster horror comedy. In the film, tired of their dull lives in the small desert town of Perfection, Nevada, repairman Val McKee, hashtag Kevin Bacon, and Earl Bassett, that's Fred Ward, try to skip town. However, they happen upon a series of mysterious deaths and a concerned seismologist, Rhonda, studying unnatural readings below the ground. With the help of eccentric survivalist couple Bert and Heather Gummer, the group fights for survival against giant, worm-like monsters hungry for human flesh. Um, so in essence, the, the premise of the movie is there's these monsters that are underground and they sense seismic readings and they'll come up and, and that's how they hunt. They giant slugs that swim underground and they pop up and then these snake-like creatures come from their mouth and they start pulling people under. Um, again, they, they hunt using vibrations, noise, seismic readings, um, but kind of how they, they, a few of them die by running into things too. So their seismic readings must not be like sonar. Um, not that I know a whole lot about sonar underground. I just find it kind of an interesting, uh, probably a plot hole for sci-fi. I don't know. We'd have to ask an expert on that. Um, so kind of really what happens is, is the two main characters, Kevin Bacon and, and uh, Fred Ward, they, they try to escape the town and there's a landslide that keeps them in. They find a, a dead body um, buried in a, in a car. Or they find a guy up in a, a power lines. And they're like, oh man, these people are dying. There must be a serial killer on the loose. And they go back into this small desert town where they're trying to leave. And weird things start happening. And they eventually discover that, oh, there's this monster on the loose. And they think it's a snake. And they don't know it's underground. And they eventually, you know, as the movie goes on, you start to realize more and more of how these monsters operate. Um, so let's, let's talk about the monsters a little bit. So they are very big creatures. Um, probably I'm guessing from the movie, maybe like 50 feet long, probably weigh a couple ton swim underground and they have, you know, a handful, half dozen snakes, snake like things come under their, their mouth and they are blind. Again, it's one of those kind of like Jurassic Park. If we don't move, they can't hear us or see us. Um, so that's how they evade, evade capture. Eventually, they figure out that they, if we don't move, they can't find us. If we stay on rocks, they can't get to us. If we have something with a good foundation, they can't get And that's kind of how the plot plot moves along. A um, couple fun things about the movie. As a, a former pole vaulter, there is a pole vault scene that they, they use, like jumping across rocks. If you've seen this again, I assume you have. Um, I thought that was kind of funny because pole vaulting, they make it look really easy. It is It is kind of a tricky method uh, maybe not necessarily the way they they're doing it but pole vaulting isn't the easiest thing in the world um now let's talk about the the guy who is probably the foundation of this movie and continues to be the foundation of the series and that's burt gummer uh for anybody who considers themselves a prepper or survivalist this guy is your idol and i would say as a little kid i used to watch this movie the the clean edited made for cable version on TNT Saturday mornings all the time growing up. Um, so honestly, if I quote this movie, it's all going to be the, the edited for TV version, not the real version. 
Um, but let's talk about Burt Gummer. Realistically, when I probably learned that I was a gun nut was whenever I looked up the Burt Gummer and his "God darn rec room" um, is the quote. If you've if you've seen the clean TV version of it, um, you know the two main characters, Kevin Bacon and Fred. They um, they're pretty cool guys overall, but really, I, I think the standout character is going to be Burt Gummer. Um, and that's really, when it comes to, you know, firearms of the movie, he's going to be the one that's going to have all the guns. He's going to be the one that talks about guns, has great quotes with guns, some interesting things to note about guns, um, more than anyone. So you'll definitely hear me talking about him more than anybody. Um, now let's talk about the review of the movie. If, if you're one of the few who haven't seen this cult classic, I'm super biased, like I said. One of my favorite childhood movies, so I'm probably going to give it an, an A or an A+, plus even, just for fun and ridiculousness. Um, your average watcher, I mean, I think my parents roll their eyes every time I talk about this movie and leave the room, so they would probably give it a C-, and I give it an A+, plus. so let's average it out to like a B+. Plus. Um, filming's decent, acting's decent, nothing groundbreaking, the plot nothing groundbreaking creative in how they created a, a movie monster movie monster genre they explain it decent enough with them being in a small town and and you know why they're limited in resources and stuff like this to kind of keep the plot relatively believable of how they would be trapped with these creatures that come from underground so decent enough plot def, decent enough uh, to keep the plot going forward enough to be believable so um Again, as far as the ratings go, I would say buy it. But those of you who aren't like me, who don't like this kind of um, eh, cult classic cheesy movies, eh, definitely just stream it for free. If you don't like it in the first 30 minutes, then you probably won't like the whole movie, so you might as well give up at that point. Um, now, like I said, it did spawn a whole bunch of sequels. Um... There's Tremors 2 Aftershock, which came out in 96, and that's where the Tremors, the, the Graboids from underground, evolve into heat-seeking, run-around on the ground creatures. There's Tremors 3 Back to Perfection, which I remember as a kid because it had a Ford Explorer sport track in it, and I thought that was the coolest truck whenever I was 11. Um, and those... The morphology of the, of the creature goes from a Graboid underground to a heat-seeking... Uh, terrestrial creature to, they call them ass blasters, flying creature that uses a chemical reaction out of its butt to fly around. Uh, Tremors 4, The Legend Begins in 2004. I own this movie, but I actually haven't watched the whole thing sitting down the whole way through. I've had it in the background while I do stuff. It's a western, it's a prequel. Um, Burt Gummer's in it as his um, ancestor, but he's like not a cool guy. He's like a big old nerd, so it's kind of like ironic juxtaposition uh so eh, not really a very good one um tremors five bloodlines which again has burt gummer in it and i think jamie kennedy is in that one too and i think it's in africa uh again these are all getting super sci-fi channel low budget quality straight to dvd slash vhs slash streaming services depending on um when they came out uh tremors a cold day in hell in 2018 which takes place somewhere arctic uh, i've seen it can't remember it very much, and then Tremors Shrieker Island in 2020, um, which kind of reminds me of like Jurassic Park where they create a game preserve of them for hunting and then things go wrong. 
Um, and I guess there was a TV series that I didn't know about. Um, I'm just learning that from the internet. It's 2003, which um, Sci-Fi Channel looks like it was a, a pilot. I'm surprised I didn't pay attention to that because I'd have been 13 when that came out, and I would have been all into this stuff at that point. So, um, like I said, good monster movie, moderately funny, not very scary, but I'd say pretty, pretty good time. Um, as far as gunplay goes, there's some cool stuff in there, especially for 1990. Um, so let's, let's get into act two now. If you're still with me after that long winded review, let's get into act two. So the guns in the movie, I, I kind of debated on how I wanted to, to organize these going off the internet pages on the guns in it. Um, whether I wanted to do chronological order when they showed up, what character used what, um, so I'm, I'm kind of do a combination of all things. So early on in the movie, you know, they don't know they're going to be fighting monsters. So kind of like the guns progress as the movie goes on. So the first, some of the first lines that you'll see in it with, um, firearms is going to be, uh, I, I talked about, there's a guy on the power line. So he's up on, um, the power electrical tower hanging out and they find his dead body up there. And, um, this is Kevin Bacon's character. And um, Fred Ward's character, so Val and Earl, as they're trying to run for town, they see him up on this tower, and they they climb up, and they find out he's dead up there, and oh, he must have been up there for three days without water. What would keep him scared up there? And I think the line in the movie is something like, "What would be scared of a thirty thirty rifle?" So the rifle that the dead guy has is a Winchester uh, eighteen ninety four or um, ninety four thirty thirty, uh, pretty popular. Um, rifle overall. If you're going to have a lever gun, you know, pre-1970, chances are it's going to be Winchester and 3030. Um, the 3030, pretty good caliber overall. Great for deer, very popular, especially on the East Coast where you don't have to shoot super far. Um, been around for a really long time. America loves their 30 calibers, so no wonder that a, a lever gun and 30 caliber is kind of America's rifle, really, before the AR-15 was. Um, I do love the 3030. You know, it's it's kind of in between the power levels of the like the intermediate military cartridges, so a little bit more powerful than your AK-47 round, the 762 by 39, um, but not as powerful as something like the 308 or 30 odd six. So right. Probably a little bit closer to the 762 by 39 um, Again, great for deer-sized things. You know, they were talking about who would be afraid of a 30-30. Um, so human size for sure. Um, but I think that's kind of funny about that. And then um, along the same lines, they, they do have a cult peacemaker too. And it's one of the, you know, Earl and Val, Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward's characters. Um, they kind of comes up again. And the line is like, what do you want, the Colt or Edgar's old rifle? Talking about the thirty thirty. whenever they're trying to take horses to get out of, of the valley where they run into the monsters again. Again, this is before they know they're underground, and this is before they know what they're going against. So, um, pretty interesting there. So, it kind of starts off pretty timid. You know, the old single-action forty five or uh, lever-action thirty thirty. But as time goes on and the monster becomes more and more discovered guns start to come into play when it breaks one of the monsters i think there's four of them one of the monsters breaks into burt gummer the prepper into his rec room so they they live on a bunker up the valley not a bunker they live on a compound up the valley 
and the monster busts through the the wall because um, I think it's pretty interesting. Mostly, you don't see a lot of reloading stuff in in Hollywood movies. Um, the only time I can really actually remember seeing anything reloading for a movie would be Wind River, uh, which is a movie I should probably talk about maybe in a, in a couple podcasts if I actually continue to keep doing this as a hobby. Um, where he's loading his forty-five seventy, but in this one he's using a tumbler, cleaning his um, brass, all that, in one of those tumbler with the corn cob media, I think is probably what it was, or sand. So it's shaking, making a racket, which attracts the monster, and they're trying to get a hold of him to say, "Hey, the monster's coming!" And he pokes his head out the window and is like, oh, "I don't see anything." Again, not knowing that they're underground, they bust through the wall, and it becomes a big shootout. And I would say, when it comes to a shootout an ammo dump in a movie. The only other movie I can think of that has an iconic ammo dump is The Predator when they have the minigun shooting into the um, into the jungle. But it breaks in and they start grabbing uh, Burt Gummer and his wife Reba start grabbing all the guns off the walls and start blasting at this graboid. So this is kind of where you see a gun going up against the monster both as the big body part and the snake heads as they come out. Um... So they, they use things like a Winchester 1200 pistol grip shotgun, uh, Remington 870 pump shotgun. I'm going to assume 12 gauge for both. You know, realistically, not terrible choices if you're going to be shooting at something. Um, if you want a close range and you want to take football sized chunks out of them, as uh, Clint Smith would say. Uh, HK 91. So they use a Heckler & Coke HK 91, which is realistically the civilian version of the HKG-3 or the Setme rifles. Um, 308 battle rifle, roller delayed action. Pretty cool rifle as a kid. It was my dream rifle when I played uh, Rainbow Six. Um, as time has gone on, I've realized there are some downfalls to uh, a giant roller delayed uh, fluted cylinder beefcake of a, of a battle rifle, but still cool all the same. Uh, one thing to note about this rifle... Is actually in the second movie, Burt Garmer talks about it, and Reba's not in the movie, so they have to create a storyline about how they got divorced, and he said something like, she took the HK-91, so he was more broken up about her, his wife taking the gun and divorce than actually getting divorced, so I find it funny that they show it in the first movie, then pay homage to it in the second movie. Um, one of the ones they grab off the wall, another one is a Colt AR-15, uh, the internet says it's a sport or two, I don't know my old 90s Colts at all. Um, that was before I was able to buy my own guns, and, you know, growing up, I was kind of in the middle of the assault weapons band, so I didn't really know that you were even allowed to have those things. Um, let's see, what else, what else? Um, oh, before before it breaks into the wall, you see Burt Gummer holding a Steyr SSG rifle, so bolt-action rifle in 762 by 51 or 308 and... Cool thing about the Steyr uh, at the time, and I just watched a video on this about on uh, Military Arms Channel. What's cool about that rifle is in the 80s and 90s, um, they were pretty much guaranteeing match-grade accuracy out of the box. You really didn't get that on... I mean, sometimes you got it luck of the draw, but it wasn't really guaranteed like it is now where everyone's saying, oh, one, away, at one, um, one MOA or less three-shot groups at 100 yards. You didn't really get those kind of guarantees. So it's kind of cool to see them have an enthusiast rifle. So definitely whoever the prop master was, the armorer, who was picking Burt's rifles, 
at the time they were picking some good stuff. So I think it portrays like if he was a um, a, a gun nut and survivalist as he said he was, then you know they did a good job with it reflecting that. They weren't like giving him high points or something like that. Um, handguns that were used in this big shootout, uh, Sig two two six, you know, infamous Sig handgun that kind of started the popularity of the SIG, the, the military trials that it lost in the 80s, uh, allegedly via budget only to Beretta. Um, as a Beretta fan, I'd like to think that the Beretta actually won it on merit, but SIG P226, great pistol overall. I don't know about fighting against subterranean monsters. Um, and then there's a bunch on the walls um, that if you go on the internet, you can see a bunch, uh, you know, Reba McIntyre shoots a uh, flare gun into the Graboid at some point. But let's talk about... So we talked about the handguns that they use, the shotguns that they use, the rifles that they use, the flare gun that they use to try to kill this thing as it busted through the wall. But the start of the show is really the quote-unquote elephant gun. Um, so I don't... Again, kind of going back to the last podcast with the Ghost in the Darkness, I don't know a lot about Danger Scream, double rifles... Um, but according to the internet, it's a Belgian-made William Moore & Company 8-gauge um, shotgun slash rifle. Now, from the limited knowledge I have from the years of reading about some of this stuff, so, you know, go back uh, 150 years when black powder was all that there was, to get more power, you couldn't up the pressures because you couldn't get certain pressure out of black powder rounds and the metallurgy wasn't necessarily as good and the machining wasn't as good. Everything had to be made by hand. It isn't surprising that um, something like a shotgun, you know, which they measure by gauge and gauge measurements that you get in a, in a shotgun come from cannons. So if you literally want to create yourself a shoulder-fired cannon, then a, really a shotgun kind of is that so eight gauge obviously nowadays you know the biggest you're realistically going to get is a 12 gauge and and with shotguns you know for those of you guys who don't know the smaller the number the bigger it is kind of the opposite with caliber and millimeters um so eight gauge bigger than a 10 gauge which used to be kind of popular and you can sometimes still see for like goose and stuff like that um but eight gauge huge 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 truly a cannon um and considering this is hammer-fired, it probably stems from really, really old elephant guns where to get more power, you just had to make it bigger. Um, and that's what I'm going to assume. I, I did some research on it. I couldn't find a whole bunch. Um, and I know I mentioned it last time, last podcast, about like, oh, I wonder when Nitro Express came out. I think what I was reading is it was 1890s when Nitro Express came out. And um, so with Black Powder days, you had Black Powder. And then they started creating express rounds, which were faster, um, still using black powder technology. And then they went to the nitro express. And the reason it was called nitro is they used nitrocellulose and nitroglycerin. And that created, um, oh gosh, I can't remember what it's called. Um, why can't I remember the name? I'm going to Google it right now because I cannot remember what the name is. Oh, cordite, cordite powder, because it, came in cords and that's what they use for nitro express so um kind of using nitro and the old express black powder rounds made nitro express so this was kind of the intermediate between black powder and smokeless powder that we see with modern firearms um i'm not an expert on, on gunpowder but loosely black powder is smoky old 
um, super fast burning, if I, if I remember correctly. And then modern powders can create a lot more pressure, a lot more boom with it. Um, oh, there's a video where the people are burning it in comparison. And I, I just remember being shocked thinking that the black powder would actually be slower than smokeless powder. But I think it's the other way around where it flashes. Um, but don't quote me on that. Again, like I said, I'm an enthusiast, not an expert. So that's kind of what they use at the very end is he breaks the glass, gets the elephant rifle out, and shoots the graboid as it's um, in their rec room, and they kill it. A couple other uh, points that you, you bring up um, with this is they do mention a Winchester 375 H&H mag, and, and they kind of talk about it now where they hand him a hunting gun, and he looks at it, and they go, that's a 375 H&H mag. Um, and I think as they're escaping, they use a 458 win as well. So both Winchester Model 70s, which uses that Mauser action that everybody loves because it's a controlled round feed. Um, so when you're looking at bolt action rifles, you have, by modern standards, push feed, which, you know, you run the bolt and the, the bullet is just kind of, or the round, I should say, is just hanging out and you, you push it into the action. Controlled round feed grabs onto it and then pushes it in as you move the bolt. Um, so for dangerous game, the theory is that if you're swinging the rifle around, shooting at weird angles, that round is not going to fall out of the chamber. That round is not going to fall out of the action as you're cycling it. So it's better for dangerous game. Really became popularized by the Mauser rifles. It might have been their invention too. Um, I think it was because the U.S. military rounds went through patent infringement issues with it. Um, I digress. So Winchester Model 70 uses that Mauser round with a controlled round feed which is really good for dangerous game, hence why you see it so often in 375, 458 win mag, all those things for kind of like big elephant style stuff. Um, so that's something that's brought into it. Um, there's an Uzi that they use. I don't know. That's the best choice necessarily. Um, Model 28 Smith & Wesson, 357 mag. Uh, love that revolver. Not great for shooting monsters underground. And then one of my favorite revolvers, uh, the Ruger Red Hawk in 44 mag, which was my pick last time um, for hunting lions as a handgun. And what's funny about that is there's this punk kid um, in the movie that is not is refusing to run from one of their escape pods, realistically, to one of the rocks once it breaks down and the monsters have their way. And he refuses to run, so Bert hands it to him and, and says something like, Oh, yo, Melvin, this will make him think twice, and hands the Red Hawk to him. Well, Melvin starts to run across the ground and starts pulling the trigger, trying to aim it at the, the monsters, and, well, nothing happens, because Bert didn't give him a little loaded gun, um, which I, I think it's it's funny. Um, so that's, that's realistically Act 2. A lot of great guns, um, but as far as hunting underground monsters i don't really know if there is a great gun so i guess not knowing that they were preparing for underground monsters they did the best they could and realistically did a pretty good job um side note when it when it comes to killing the monsters um there's four of them one was killed by running into like a underground cement uh, drainage ditch or aqueduct uh one of them was killed in burt's uh, rec room with them just having that giant shootout ammo dump. One was killed with home and explosives by Bert. You know, something about, you know, a combination of household chemicals, you can do anything or something along those lines. Um, so they make basically pipe bombs 
they blow one up by that by dragging it across the ground going fishing for it and kill it and then the last one is at the showdown at the end of the movie where it kind of jumps off of a cliff in a way um so truly the only graboid the only monster that was killed by a firearm was the one with a massive ammo dump with an elephant rifle with battle rifles dangerous game rifles shotguns pistols all the other ones were killed environmentally really so um kind of tough when it comes to act three so let's get into act three uh, if you're still with me, this is the part where I kind of talk about what I would pick. If I were in this movie and I and I had their guns, what would I pick? And if I could bring my own guns, what would I pick? Um, I guess that goes with the lead-in of Act 2, where what monsters were killed with what? Now, these monsters are underground. Um, when it comes to shooting firearms through dirt... It does not work. Even probably worse than shooting firearms into water or underwater. You know, when you look at the military and what they use um, for makeshift shelters, you know, kind of using those giant um, sandbags, I honestly don't know what they're called. Um, you know, backstops at your shooting range. Um, bullets don't like to go through dirt. So... It doesn't matter if I had a 50 BMG. If I'm shooting at one of these creatures underground, it's not going to go more than a foot or two. Um, I think Demolition Ranch has a video on how deep a 50 BMG will go underground, and it's not very deep from what I remember. And I know um, people shoot elephant rifles into sandbags, and it might go through two feet of sand. Uh, might. So... Realistically, I'm looking at something that if I'm going to be using a firearm to hunt a graboid, I have to get it to surface first, right? Now, obviously, they use explosives, and that's the most effective way. So, But since this isn't the Internet Movie Explosives podcast, um, I, I have to ignore that. Other than saying, oh, grenade launcher, that'll that'll do it. Um, of the, the guns picked, I probably would pick the 458 Win Mag. Of the ones that they have, that, that Winchester 70, kind of hoping that it will pop up and I can shoot it. And I can shoot it a couple times accurately into the mouth, into the throat, and, and kill it eventually, maybe. The reason I wouldn't pick the elephant rifle is because 8-gauge... Um, let me look up and see what caliber 8-gauge is. I have no idea what that would even convert to. Um, let's see here. But it, it's a 12-pound, 15-pound double rifle... That'll break my shoulder, and um, not something I think I would I would use well. So I would probably go with the 458. Let's see here, an eight bore is 0.835 inches, so 80 caliber. We're talking 20 21 millimeters. Um, so those 20 20 millimeter anti tank rounds. Obviously, it's not an equivalent, but caliber wise, it would be the same thing. So that's a beefy beefy boy um wouldn't be my choice another good option i think would be one of the winchester 1200 defenders or the remington 870 because it does shoot those snakes out of its mouth and if you can't kill the monster at least you can kill the things that are going to try to grab you and pull you in so if i had to use one of the guns like i said I, i'd go with the 458 win mag which is still an elephant gun um or a shotgun with good buckshot that way i can at least try to blast those things out of the way um 
or even like a, something like a goose or duck shot too, you know, and I'm not going to say, Oh, use bird shot for home defense, but that's probably what I would do. Um, realistically, I'd want something light though too, so I can run really what it was going to come down to is running, being able to climb, jump, hide on things. Um, so the handier, the better. And that's why I would go with those of the rifles that they picked. I've been racking my brain about if if I could pick any rifle, though, or any rifle or handgun combination, what would I do? The rifle, the, you know, the, the main arm would be the one that I would struggle with, but one that I think I would definitely would pick sidearm-wise would be that new FK Bruno round. Um, if anybody isn't really into modern firearms, there's a gun made, and I think it's Czechoslovakia, because it reminds me of, is it Czechoslovakia? Czech Republic. Um uses i think 7.5 millimeter round bottleneck round so it looks like a rifle round and it's supposed to have energy similar to a 44 mag and it's supposed to penetrate body armor and, and all this stuff that's what i would pick you have super fast bullets hitting hard multiple rounds semi-automatic they call it a field pistol so it's a little bit bigger than your average your average pistol but at least i can keep it on me and you know what, if I have last-ditch effort of a giant monster that surfaces, at least I can try to blast it and maybe it'll bleed out slowly while I can hide enough just to fend it off. So sidearm-wise, that's what I'm picking. Volume of fire and power. Um, primary arm-wise, that's a tough one. I would, and I go back and forth, and, and when it comes to penetration of things, oh, <laughs> um it's a physics problem. So you're looking at the construction of the bullet, the style of the bullet, the speed of the bullet, um, you know, copper solids are going to penetrate more than hollow points because they're designed to expand, but speed on under certain things will penetrate more. So like if you're doing body armor, you want speed, but if you're doing soft tissue like game, then sometimes that big fat heavy bullet will penetrate more. Unless, you know, that's why like a two, two, three, um, can penetrate armor a little bit better than a 4570, but a 4570 will go through like seven deer going slow kind of thing. Um, obviously, there's more to it than that. So you have to weigh all these options of penetration. So when it comes to like, I need to shoot this giant animal, I need it to penetrate to get through, knowing that I can't shoot through dirt, it's, it's going to be a tough balance. And it makes me think too, do I want to go with something big like an elephant rifle that I know can penetrate? Or do I want to go with something like, you know, a 6.5 Grendel or a 5.56 AR where it's like I can get 30 rounds and just mag dump into it. Hopefully some of them, since they're fast enough, will penetrate deep enough to hit things and then, you know, maybe cause enough damage to kill it. Um, going off of the movie with them shooting it with a bunch of small arms, both intermediate and full power cartridges, not really doing much until you got to the elephant rifle... This is one where I'm I'm still gonna pick the elephant rifle. So I know I picked 458 Win Mag um, for the rifles that they have. I would probably consider that as well. Um, I can't think of you know when it comes to dangerous game rifles, there's there's still a whole bunch. There's you know what is it 505 Jeffrey or 500 Jeffrey, and I can't remember which one it is. I know that one is one of the big boys when it comes to energy, but you're talking super heavy rifles, so. I'm going to also go with the Winchester Model 70. Uh, one of my favorite rifles I ever held was a Winchester 70 in the African game with the fancy walnut, and it just felt great. So I would probably go with that, knowing that it wouldn't be the best, but there really is no best when it comes to underground monsters. Because um, in the end, 
pipe bombs are going to be king. Maybe a full auto AK or AR or something would would work well too. You, you, I don't want to say you can't go wrong with those because I think with this you can't go a whole lot wrong. Um, again, with the issues of them being underground and, and seemingly be very tough unless you explode them from the inside. So, you know, with Tremors, great movie, great gun guy movie, great prepper movie. Thanks to Burt Gummer. Um, I'm a big fan of the the firearms play overall. There's a lot of hip firing, which is a carryover from the 90s and some absurd lines and stuff like that. But overall, they describe the rifles accurately. They use the firearms relatively accurately. Um, Weirdly enough, Kevin Bacon seems like he can use a weapon a little bit better than, than Reba McIntyre can in this movie. And, you know, she's supposed to be some kind of survivalist wife and she's hip firing while he's actually aiming. So overall, the gunplay is pretty good. Movie's pretty fun. Guns are cool. Um, and that's about it folks. If you stayed with me this long, um, hope you enjoyed it so far. If you do watch tremors, I hope you enjoy it. And just remember, here on the internet, all these are just my opinions of a guy on the internet. And, um, you know, we're using our, our First Amendment to, to practice our Second Amendment. So stay strong, everybody. Have a good day. And adios.